Thanks, Mike, and good evening, everyone. Um, Let me pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder when you expect to have the next opportunity to speak a word or two on behalf of the God you say you love and trust and follow. It may be immediately at the close of the service as you turn to your neighbour or have a word with somebody in the meeting place over a cup of tea or coffee that uh, a comment is made, a question asked and responded to. Or it may be tomorrow when somebody simply says to you, how was your weekend? And you have an opportunity to say something about what you were up to today. Or perhaps during the course of the week, some comment is made to you from the news about some misbehaving vicar or some comment uh, about world affairs or what God is up to with all these earthquakes and drownings and so on. And um, I wonder what your response would be to any of those situations whether you'd want to quickly change the subject, uh, pray for the, to the ground to open up under your feet, um, or mumble something fairly optimistic and vaguely uplifting um, in the hope that um, uh, the other person is satisfied with that. Do you sometimes wish and hope and pray both for boldness and for integrity? in speaking a word on God's behalf. Well, if so, you're not alone. Um, You can certainly number me amongst those who would hope and wish and pray for both boldness and integrity in speaking on God's behalf. And we can learn a great deal, I think, from the prophet Jeremiah. As you've heard from Will, we are beginning this evening a series uh, of Sunday evening services focusing on um, the writing prophets of the Old Testament. Um, We're missing Isaiah out because we did Isaiah um, in considerable detail in recent months. And even though I, for one, would never feel completely Isaiah'd out, he's had his turn and it's time for some of the others to have their turn. Uh, So the next prophet after Isaiah is Jeremiah, and that's what we get this evening. Trouble is, apart from the book of Psalms, Jeremiah's is the longest book in the entire Bible. And more than that, it doesn't really have a plot line. The materials are sometimes roughly in chronological order. We get Jeremiah's call at the beginning, and we get something uh, sort of vaguely... Uh, endish at the end, uh, but it's more a collection of his messages given over quite an extended period of time. So rather than trying to give you a bird's eye view of the whole lot, which frankly is beyond me, I thought that I would attempt rather to give you an example of his message, a segment of his teaching, and so, uh, and a quite typical segment in many ways too, to give you a flavour of this great and godly man. So we're in Isaiah chapter 28, and uh, I hope you have a Bible open in front of you. If you do, then in the church Bibles, it's page 788, if you need to look it up again. 
For over a century, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah have been part of the mighty Assyrian Empire. They've been forced to pay homage and an annual tribute on pain of brutal punishment if they defaulted. The northern kingdom of Israel had rebelled against this regime and by a way of punishment her inhabitants were deported and her capital city vanquished. The southern kingdom of Judah continues to teeter on the brink of ruin. Its kings and its people are devoted to all kinds of immorality and idolatry, including the terrible practice of human sacrifice. Judah was a nation ripe for judgment. And it was into that situation that the prophet Jeremiah was born. And we're now in the year 593 BC. Babylon has replaced Assyria as the dominant power in that part of the world. And the people of Judah have already tried rebelling against Babylon and its infamous ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. What they got for their trouble was the deportation of their king and other influential people, together with the removal of precious articles from the temple in Jerusalem. So they really were under the thumb of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Babylon has appointed in Judah a puppet king, Zedekiah. He's named in verse 1 there, do you see? But Zedekiah appears from the previous chapter to be hatching a plot with envoys from the surrounding nations, uh, verse 3 of, of chapter 27. They are planning, it seems, yet another revolt against Babylon. And the prospect of such a revolt would seem to be an encouraging thing to the people of Judah. Maybe Babylon can be made to topple and then we'll have our freedom again. So it's a good time for the optimists in Judah. But what is Jeremiah up to? We find him, as you've heard already from Mike, uh, standing in the temple wearing a yoke around his neck. And the previous chapter, again, as Mike has pointed out to us, we see the symbol, uh, the symbolism of that yoke that he's wearing around his neck. The message is, accept God's verdict. Submit to the yoke of Babylon. Resign yourselves to the fact that you will be under Babylonian rule for three generations. If you do, you will be be able to live in relative safety and peace in your own land. If you do not, you will suffer tragic consequences. That's Jeremiah's message. Submit to the yoke of Babylon. Do not rebel. Do not resist. But now, in our chapter 28, comes a confrontation between two prophets. A second prophet steps forward and in front of the priests and all the people contradicts Jeremiah to his face. The man's name is Hananiah. He goes up to Jeremiah, looks him straight in the eye and says, Jeremiah, you're wrong. The Lord is going to smash the yoke of Babylon. Within two short years, the exiles and the precious articles from the temple will be returned. 
It's not so bad after all. And he answers Jeremiah's symbolism with a dramatic gesture of his own. He takes that yoke off of uh, Jeremiah's neck and he smashes it on the ground. So much for the yoke of Babylon, says Hananiah. Here then are two prophets. Jeremiah asserting one thing, asserting bad news, and Hananiah contradicting it and asserting good news. Which one is to be believed? The question of truth versus falsehood has, of course, always been with us. Remember how right at the beginning the serpent said to the woman in the garden, did God really say? And then flatly contradicted what God had said when God had said, if you eat that fruit, you will surely die. And the serpent says, you will not surely die. And so it was to be in the last days. Peter, in his second epistle, says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. We need then some tests that can be applied to anyone who claims to be speaking on behalf of God. Four tests from stemming from this passage here in Jeremiah 28. Someone is speaking on behalf of God. Someone is claiming to speak on behalf of God. Now, first of all, does he speak with compassion? Do you see how in verse 6... Jeremiah's first response to Hananiah's optimistic messages, Amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied. Jeremiah wishes it were true. Jeremiah would love it to be true. Because Jeremiah wants it to be true. And back in chapter 17 and verse 16, Jeremiah confesses before the Lord, you know that I have not desired the day of despair. And that sense of regret, that sense of compassion, that sense of there are some things which God says and does, which in my human weakness I might wish were not so, comes across even in the ministry of Jesus Christ when he looks at God's holy city, Jerusalem, and cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Stern words but spoken with compassion, spoken with love. Consider, says Paul in Romans chapter 11, consider the goodness and the severity of God. Folks, it's good to speak much of the goodness of God, but sometimes we may need to speak of God's severity. But let us do so like Jeremiah and like Christ himself, with deep compassion. So the first test of a prophet is this, or anyone speaking on behalf of God is this. Does he speak with compassion? 
The second test is this. Is what he says in accordance with what God has already revealed? Is what he says in accordance with what God has already revealed? Look down, if you will, to verse 8, when Jeremiah says, From early times, the prophets who preceded you, and you and me, have prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. That's been the continuous message of the prophets, uh, says, uh, uh, says Jeremiah. He's appealing to what God has previously revealed and spoken through the prophets. And then you see he adds in verse 9, the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognised as one truly sent by the Lord only if the prediction comes true. So uh, Jeremiah is appealing to God's previously revealed word through the other and earlier prophets. In just the same way Isaiah, in chapter 8 and verse 20, um, calls um, and appeals to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. If somebody pretending to speak for God today does not speak in accordance with what God has already revealed, then there's no light, there's no truth in what they say. Because you see, the Holy Spirit never contradicts himself. The wonderful William Gurnall, born in King's Lynn and rector in Lavenham in Suffolk in the 17th century, said this. Compare scripture with scripture. False doctrines, like false witnesses, agree not among themselves. Remember, just as an aside, that the devil never misses church, and he always carries his Bible with him, and will quite regularly take his Bible out and quote verses at God's people and at others. He did so with Jesus when Jesus was tempted and tested in the wilderness. The devil said to Jesus, it is written... And Jesus responded not by saying to the devil, oh, but you can make the Bible say whatever he wanted to say. Jesus responded by saying, it is also written. (laughs) He fought um, a false interpretation of reading scripture with a true one. He appealed to God's revelation. So that was the second point. Is When somebody claims to speak on behalf of God, is what he says in accordance with what God has already revealed? Thirdly, is he prepared to speak unpopular truths? Verse 13 certainly contains an unpopular truth. truth. When the Lord says to Jeremiah, go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke but in its place you will get a yoke of iron. So basically, the Lord is is saying to Jeremiah, tell Hananiah it's even worse than you thought. An unpopular truth, if ever there was one. There was, in Hananiah's optimistic message, no word of warning, no sense of God's displeasure at the vast and terrible sins of the nation. One of the accusations against the false prophets was this, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 13 and following. They dress the wound of my people 
as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. May God protect us from speaking peace when there is not peace, from speaking merely nice things, comforting things, when perhaps God wishes to say other things to folks. Our business is not being nasty or hurtful or upsetting for these things' own sake. No, we do these things with tears and with compassion. But are we prepared, like Jeremiah, to speak unpopular truths? The world today demands that the church amuse, entertain, inspire us, reassure us, or, other, or, or else shut up. But perhaps in the end, it will be our willingness to speak unpopular truths that will gain for us a greater hearing amongst thoughtful people. George Buttrick says, and I think truly, people are driven from the church not so much by stern truth that makes them uneasy as by weak nothings that make them contemptuous. Is the person who claims to speak on God's behalf prepared to speak unpopular truths? And now, first, uh, th- uh, fourthly, is this person willing, if necessary, to stand alone? Is this person willing, if necessary, to stand alone? Verse 15. Then Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. The nation had believed Hananiah and the other Uh, so-called prophets and was choosing to reject and to spurn the message of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was left alone. In the United States, when a warrant for arrest is served, the wording, I'm told, is this. The people of such and such a state against, and here you'd have to insert the name of uh, of the accused, Imagine what that must feel like to have the people of the, an entire state against you and your name there. That's what just, just what Jeremiah must have felt like. The people of Judah, its re, re, leaders and rulers and its prophets against you. You're on your own, mate. But it didn't deter him. He was willing to stand alone. The Christian thinker Kierkegaard said, uh, many years ago, for long the tactics have been, use every means to move as many as you can, to move everybody, if possible, to enter Christianity. Do not be too curious whether what they enter really is Christianity. My tactics have been, he says, with God's help, to use every means to make it clear what the demand of Christianity really is, even if no one entered it. And what did our Lord say about counting the cost of discipleship? Folks, the majority is not always in the right. Be careful not to give in Uh, unthinkingly to peer pressure 
very strong pressure. Sometimes we need to listen to that lone voice. Sometimes we may need even need to be that lone voice. We sometimes refer to Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. But he is ultimately a prophet of hope. After judgment will come restoration. But in God's time, not in the two years that Hananiah prophesied, but in the 70 years that Jeremiah prophesied. Moving briefly into chapter 31, we have the glorious promise of God's new covenant, where God will gather them from the four corners of the earth. Their mourning will be turned into gladness and their sorrow into comfort and joy. He will put his law in their minds and write it on their hearts. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And by the way, if you want a short phrase to summarize the entire message of the Bible, there are several that will do. I certainly wouldn't object if you want a John 3.16 to summarize the message of the Bible. If you want something from the Old Testament to summarise what the Bible is all about, then you can't go very wrong with this one. I will be their God, and they will be my people. There is a huge message in that brief statement. um, Jeremiah 31 goes on to say, No longer will a man teach his neighbour, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. And at that point, the prophet Jeremiah, centuries before the coming of Christ, is pointing directly towards Christ. Because do you remember that on the night before he died, at the Last Supper, Jesus uh, stood and said, this cup is the new covenant. Remember, Jeremiah has spoken of God's new covenant. Now Jesus is saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And Hebrews chapter 8 will give an exposition of Jesus, the mediator of God's new covenant, quoting directly from, uh, from Jeremiah chapter 31. And this same Christ, crucified but now risen and ascended, has lavished gifts upon his people. He has given some, I'm quoting now from Ephesians chapter 4, he has given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So many ministries of the word. And in fact, we are all called to a ministry of the word because in that same chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that we should all be seeking God's grace to be able to speak the truth in love. And the test of speaking the truth in love will be this. Do we speak with compassion? Do we speak in accordance with what God has already revealed? Are we prepared to speak, if necessary, unpopular truths? And are we willing, if necessary, to stand alone? May God grant us all clear minds and resolute wills and loving hearts. In other words, may God grant us integrity and boldness as we seek to be faithful to him in word and in deed. Let's pray. 
Our gracious Father, you know that those of us who belong to Jesus Christ long for that boldness and that integrity. Forgive us that we have failed to speak up on your behalf on so many occasions. Grant us the resolve as well as the grace this coming week to seize opportunity to speak compassionately and truly and boldly as the opportunity arises. And may in all of this, may we point not to ourselves, but to Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.